Hello, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. We have a great show for you guys today. We talk about the Euro 2020 final, Italy versus England. It did not actually go home. We talk about Argentina versus Brazil in the Copa America final. Messi getting his first international trophy. All that and more. Give us a follow and a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, what have you. Also, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show to keep up to date with any of our shows. Yeah, and with that, enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It is Monday, so it is our news and predictions show. As always, my name is AJ Tabura, everyone's favorite Minnesota United, West Ham United, and U.S. national team fan. And today I'm not actually joined by Jack. Jack is know, frolicking on a beach somewhere in, in L.A., having the time of his life, not having to work for an entire week. So, you know, good for him, good for him. So instead, we have one of our friends that uh, Jack, uh, I, I believe, Reed. Uh, spoiler alert, our guest is Reed. <laughs> Did you guys meet from a, a soccer class in the fall semester last year? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we haven't actually met officially because oh, yeah, it was on right. Zoom, but uh, yeah, that's we were in the class together. Yeah, that's right. We got Reed here, who has actually guested on this podcast before, and he's come back to fill in for Jack. And honestly, probably do a better better job than Jack. <laughs> he's not here. I can say whatever I want. So, Reed, in general, how are you feeling right now? Oh, I'm I'm buzzing, man. I'm very excited. Uh, I happen to be a Italy fan, so yes. just coming off of that uh, that win against England, uh, so so excited. You know, after missing out on the 2018 World Cup, yeah, you know, just to be able to come back and be such a strong team, you know, not just win, but to do it in such emphatic style mm-hmm. was just really exciting to watch um, over this past month. So very very happy right now. Yeah, and I'm very happy to have you on this podcast because. When when we realized that we were going to have to have you on as a guest and we saw that Italy would advance, I was like, oh, if Italy win, having Reed on this podcast would be amazing. So <laughs> I'm really, really glad you're here. Uh, what other teams do you uh, support other than Italy? Yeah, um, I'm an Arsenal fan, an Atlanta United fan, and of course, a USMNT fan. Awesome. So awesome. Those are my big main teams. Yeah, well... Let's get into some warm-up questions going off that because right. with our guests, we like to you know, get to know them a little bit, let our audience get to know them a little bit by asking some warm-up questions. So I got three for you here. Reed, are you ready for the warm-up questions? I'm ready. Hit me. All right. All right. Well, the first one, very simply, what was the first time you realized that you loved soccer, that you fell in love with this sport? Might be a little bit cliche, but I think it's got to be um, 2010 World Cup, uh, that Donovan goal. Yeah. Um, that was just crazy. I was actually on an airplane um, during that, and the entire plane was just uh, watching that game. And so, you know, and just in the close quarters, everybody cheering at the same time. It was just really cool. That was yeah. awesome. Awesome, awesome, so, yeah. 2010, yeah. land Donovan goal. Mm-hmm. Very very impactful. I, th- I think yeah. a lot of people got into that. I uh, got yeah, into definitely. soccer at that time. So yeah, th- yeah. that's great to hear. <laughs> Second question. If you could play like a player of your choice, who would it be? 
So if you want to like adopt a play style from any player, like emulate, emulate them, play like them, um, which player would you choose? I am a defender. I like to play um, center back generally. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite defenders actually is uh, Cannavaro of the Italian national team, mm-hmm. uh, captain of the 2006 uh, World Cup winning team. I just, he was just really fantastic. And I feel he doesn't get talked about enough, you know, in kind of right. um, debates and, you know, people bring up great players from uh, the past and stuff. And his name just doesn't really get thrown around there. So, um, but I, I, you know, see, I didn't watch him a whole lot, uh, you know, growing up. He was a little bit before my time. But some of the stuff I've seen, I, I just think he's a fantastic player. Um, really, really like what he does um, defensively. So, big fan of his. All right, cool. Well, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you, you, you play just like him. You're, you're on that same level as him on, Thank on the you, pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always try. Right. Yeah, I sure you do. Uh, last question for the warm-up questions. And I, I know you are an Atlanta United fan and an Arsenal fan. So, mm-hmm. would you rather see Atlanta? win the treble which is the mls cup mm-hmm. open cup and the Concacaf champions league or arsenal win the premier league so which one <laughs> would you rather have happen uh you know i think i'm gonna have to say arsenal win the premier league um Ooh. probably because it's more unlikely um <laughs> <laughs> oh man and uh probably well I, that's i mean winning the treble is difficult so but uh Arsenal just haven't been the team that they used to be, you know, and I've just been supporting them longer. You know, yeah. United's only been around since 2017. Um, and I've been supporting Arsenal for a while um, since before that. So I'm a little bit more invested uh, into Arsenal. But, right. And also, I mean, I saw LA United win MLS Cup um, in 2018. I was actually at that game because it was uh, no way. at home. That's crazy. So, yeah. So that, I mean, I have that um, and it's relatively recent, you know, so. Yeah, um, that's cool. But yeah. uh, so I think that's probably why I'd lean more towards the the Arsenal Premier League victory. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. this is the year, right? This is the oh, year it all comes yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, <laughs> no uh, European competition to worry about. We're making, you know, <laughs> make some big signings. You got eyes on the prize. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know so much if Arsenal's going to win, but we do have. <laughs> Italy that has won the Euros. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about Lionel Messi finally getting his international trophy. So let's kick things off with the Euros in the newsroom where we talk about some big stories happening around world soccer. Reed, I'm going to hand it to you first with Euro 2020. The final literally just happened like an hour and a half ago. You are an Italy fan. So what did you see in the final? What did Italy do right to win their second Euro ever? Yeah, I think um, probably the biggest takeaway from this game and uh, this tournament for me, for Italy, is um, there really wasn't a standout player or players for the most part. The, mm-hmm. the, I think the reason that they won and that they did so well was how good they were as a team. I think it's, I don't think anybody can argue that they were the best team in the tournament and, you know, they won the whole thing, but there's not, there's not one specific player that you can say, Oh, they had, you know, a 
incredible tournament or they they were like the best player in the tournament I, I just don't think that's there because I think everybody was so um good you know at uh, doing their job uh I think Mancini uh deserves a lot of credit mm-hmm. I think uh since he's come in he's ch- changed he's changed the Italian DNA because you know before up to this point they have been throughout their history very uh defensive team right you know they they win through defense and um but that's that's just not who they were uh this tournament and that's not who they have been for um you know since he's taken over he's implemented this system that works for the players that he has and they've been sound defensively i mean they they haven't they hadn't conceded for i think it was like 1000 minutes or so yeah um which like broke the world record i believe before they conceded against austria um like they so they have the the defense still there but they're playing this free-flowing attacking football players are moving around there everybody's getting touches everyone's getting involved and so i think that's where it uh that's where they were able to win you know they everybody was committed to their job and everybody was um excited to do um, what Mancini needed them to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, th- this team, obviously, like you said, played very well as a unit, but, and we're going to get to this a, a little bit later as well, but can, mm-hmm. if you can narrow down to one or two players that were very key for this final and for the tournament as a whole, could you possibly like go towards one or two players that you can point out as being like the MVPs for this Italy team? Yeah, I think um, it's hard. I mean, I'll try. But so <laughs> in, in the back, you have uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, who yeah. were just outstanding this entire tournament. I think uh, Bonucci played off the park today. Um, Chiellini did as well. He had a couple hiccups. Um, you know, that horse collar on Saka wasn't great. Yeah. Um, a tackle he had to make, but he probably could have done something better so that he wouldn't have had to make that tackle. Um, but Bonucci was uh, fantastic. Um, and then through the midfield, I, our midfield three has been just stellar. Um, whoever's been in there, um, all tournament, I think, uh, Jorginho, uh, had a fan, really good tournament, really mm-hmm. good tournament. Uh, he played, um, in every game. I know Locatelli started the tournament. Um, but then when Verratti got better, he came in for the rest of the games, um, to start those games. And, and he was great when he came in. Uh, but Jorginho was there. He played every, you know, every minute of every game. Um, and he's, he's, he's a player with a play style that uh, you don't always notice, you know, the kind of things he does, but they're yeah. so important and they're so crucial. Um, so a lot of praise to him. Um, I, I think also uh, Chiesa. Chiesa right, had yeah. a absolutely fantastic tournament. He played so well, got uh, two, three goals maybe. Um, and they were incredible goals. He, you know, his, his first touch off the ball, like his turn of pace, uh, he's, he's going, uh, he's going places. I, I think, um, he's still really young. He's got a really, um, uh, impressive career ahead of him. I hope uh, his injury today doesn't set him back too much, but I thought he was so exciting to watch. Um, yeah. yeah so I think those are maybe some of the, the spine of the, the team. Uh, yeah. throughout the tournament yeah and and you could definitely tell that 
that spine, that midfield, especially with like Verratti, Chiesa, like I have been so impressed with them this entire mm-hmm. tournament. And I, I even think I, I mentioned that Italy wins their games and they would win their final if they can win the midfield. And mm-hmm. I think they've done a, a good job uh, of that the entire tournament. So yeah, obviously, obviously you got to highlight them. Uh, yeah. I also want to highlight kind of what England has done a little bit and how, what actually happened in the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So Luke Shaw scored the fastest Euro final goal in history. After just a minute and 57 seconds. Yeah. It was a great cost from Kieran Trippier to mm-hmm. Shaw, who just smashed it in bottom left corner. Mm-hmm. Reed, what did Italy do in order to, you know, bounce back? So obviously that's one of the worst ways you can start a final. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what did they do to organize themselves, reorganize themselves even, and get back into the game? Honestly, I think the reason that Italy were able to get back into the game is more so because of what England did. Right. Uh, you know, I think they, this, and this is just how they've always played under Gareth Southgate. They got that early goal. It's exactly what they wanted. And then they just kind of sat back and defended. Mm-hmm. Um, from it, from an Italian standpoint, I think they did a really good job of, you know, not losing their heads. It was really early on. They had the whole game left to come back and recover. And like I said before, these um, Italian players are really well drilled by Mancini and they are, um, they all are happy to do exactly what needs to be done uh, for the team. And so I think that, you know, was helpful, but I, th- I just, I don't, mm, I think England didn't take a hold of the game. Like maybe they should have. Um, right. I think that was a, probably a bigger factor um, yeah. going, uh, going into the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, England played with the three at the back. We, we saw them do that as well against Germany. And mm-hmm. I, I think the working theory here is that Southgate played uh, three at the back this tournament whenever it felt like the teams were either evenly matched or he thought that the attacking talent of either Germany or Italy could outpace, outmatch uh, the, the English defense. Mm-hmm. And right, on, on one hand, I think it helped relieve a lot of pressure coming from Italy, uh, at least like in that first half. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, like you said, it allowed Italy to kind of grow into the game and take control of the match because they were just, Mm -hmm. they were sitting back so much. And really it was, uh, it felt like it was just a matter of time before uh, Benucci in the, in the second, uh, the second half Mm -hmm. to score. Yeah. He scored off of a a rebound uh, off of that. What in in Italy corner. And yeah, yeah. Corner bounced around a little bit and he was able to get on the end of it. Um, I'm not sure how many people watched, you know, all of Italy's games this tournament, I did. And um, the game in which they played uh, probably the worst, I think, was against Spain. And I think that was um, a big part was because Spain was able to hold a very high line um, and they were able to keep possession of the ball very well, uh, which just completely neutralizes uh, Italy's attack. Because Italy um, like to get numbers forward. You know, they like to get their... uh, outside backs up um, and make overlapping runs uh, from the, the wingers, you know, Insigne, Chiesa, Ferrari, whoever's out there. Um, and they just like to crowd the box and just play in and around the box quick, right. like little one-two passes. And ba- England basically just let them do that. Um, I, I mean, credit to them, they didn't, Italy wasn't able to score another goal, but they, Italy had all the momentum and England just didn't really have anything going for them. Um, they were able to break a couple of times, 
Um, there were a few nervy moments. Uh, Sterling made some really excellent runs yeah. in the second half when he got onto the ball. He was able to break into the penalty area. Um, and that was, you know, scary. He's a great player. He's had a fantastic tournament. Uh, but ultimately, Bonucci and uh, Chiellini were able to thwart any, uh, anything that uh, Sterling was able to come up with, which was good. But, yeah, I think um, Italy did a really good job of, uh, you know, keeping cool heads and staying with uh, their game plan after the Shaw goal. And uh, I, they just basically, I think they just outplayed uh, England. Yeah. And... and- obviously like that game plan worked for them chile and Benucci mm-hmm. stayed on their heads that they kept england out when they were able to find a break and that set them up pretty well for the entirety of the 120 minutes mm-hmm. going into penalty kicks and i i think this is like the storyline of the game what happened here uh obviously there were some some heroics going on here with, with donnarumma like mm-hmm. Going into penalty kicks mm-hmm. on a scale to one to ten, exactly how nervous were you? <laughs> oh, I was so so nervous. Yeah, I just penalty kicks are just so difficult to watch, so difficult to sit through. You don't know how long they're gonna go on. They could, you know, they go on indefinitely. Anything could happen. It's ooh, yeah. it was very very nervy moments there. Yeah. Did you agree with Mancini's uh, order of Italy's uh, penalty kicker? So it went, uh, if, I, if I'm, I'm seeing this correctly, it went uh, mm-hmm. Berardi, Bellotti, Benucci, uh, Bernardeschi. Is that how you pronounce it? Bernardeschi. Bernardeschi, yep. Something and like then <laughs> Jorginho, who uh, missed his penalty, yeah. for, which is kind of surprising to see. Oh, but, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Do you did you agree with with that uh, lineup of penalty kickers, or would you change yeah. it up a little bit? Well, I, it's hard not to agree since they won, um, <laughs> but I, I, but I do agree um, for the most part. I mean, if you look at uh, we went into penalties with Spain as well, mm-hmm. and um, it's basically the same lineup except uh, Locatelli went first, I think, instead yeah. of Berardi. Um, Locatelli missed his penalty, so that's probably why Berardi got the chance here um, to start. Uh, but I mean, these, I mean, if you look at the players that we had on the field, um, probably our best penalty takers were all off the field by that point. Um, you know, Insigne was off, Chiesa was off, um, Immobile was off, uh, like all these uh, substitutions had been made. So I think this is definitely um, the, the, the best lineup that Mancini had available for him. And you always want to put Jorginho on number five. Right. I mean, shocking miss you know nobody expected that because he makes it 99.99 percent of the time yeah so um but yeah i i think uh i think this this lineup was perfect for for the italians yeah and so on the italian side we had Bellotti get saved Jorginho's mm-hmm. penalty gets saved mm-hmm. and now let's talk about england's side of the mm-hmm. penalties england who historically have done pretty badly with uh, penalty kicks and penalty shootouts had Harry Kane and Maguire take their first two penalties Mm -hmm. and they made them very good penalties, especially Maguire's like top right corner broke the camera. (laughs) Yeah, literally nobody, nobody on earth, not not even, uh, not even the the mom from, uh, the the Incredibles could reach that. (laughs) Like it was, it was out of reach for everybody, but 
I want to talk about Donnarumma uh, saving two of the the last three penalties mm-hmm. from England. Mm-hmm. Like, just j- just how impressive was he? Because that was that was incredible. Yeah, he's he is so impressive. Uh, he, I mean, when you consider his age and how good he has been um, since he's come on to the um, you know, professional stage. I mean, he's 22 right. years old. He's been playing for Milan for like three or four years. Um, and he, he, there's actually a stat. I think he's uh, never conceded more than one goal when playing for Italy. Wow. Um, you know, so he's, he really is just the second coming of Buffon, <laughs> huh. um, which is great for Italy. And I think, you know, I think the two penalties that he saved uh, were not great penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, he saved them. He did, and that that's his job is to save them. So credit where it's due, he did a great job there. Um, and just really happy for him um, for saving those penalties. I think I saw a quote um, after the game, and he said, uh, you know, after Jorginho missed his penalty, I was really down, but then I knew that I had to... Um, get back up because I still had a job to do. So mm-hmm. I was able to get up and I was ready. I was ready to take on the, the challenge of what I had to do. And he did. Um, so, and that's great mentality, especially for a 22 year old. So yeah, that's really awesome. He did great. Yeah. I, I, Donnarumma was one of those players where since he came on to the scene so early, mm-hmm. it feels like he's been around forever. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I've been reading his name since, since like middle school at this point, like he, <laughs> he's been around so long. Uh, he yeah. obviously came up big. Marcus Rashford took the third kick for England. He yeah. hit it just just off the post to the left, like mm-hmm. like three more inches to the right, and it would be a perfectly paced penalty. But yeah, that whole side of the goal was gaping. Yeah, exactly. And put it outside. Just just comp- just scuffed it a little bit. And it was just off, and it was yeah, very very sad to see him. Just his initial reaction. Yeah. No. I mean, I think. To have uh, Rashford, Sancho, and Saka take the last three yep. penalties. I, I mean, these guys it. are just so young, and uh, that's just so much weight to put on their shoulders. Exactly. I'm. I'm not sure. I mean, to. I. I mean, I. I Southgate just is a real big question mark for me. I, did he really? He subs, yeah, he subs in. You know, Sancho and Rashford, and uh, just for penalties, I assume. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, he subbed him on in like the 118th minute and you have Rashford playing right back for those two minutes. I don't know if you noticed that, but, um, you know, he took off Henderson who he had subbed on initially. And then he, and I, I'm just not sure. It just felt weird. Yeah. It just felt weird. Yeah. It, it, it was so weird. And everyone on Twitter understands this. Everyone on Twitter pointed it out that yeah. you have three of the youngest uh, England stars that you have mm-hmm. take the penalties while at the same time you have players that could step up, you know, Raheem mm-hmm. Sterling, yep. Jack Grealish. Yep. You can look at even uh, Calvin Phillips. I believe he was on the field. Mm-hmm. Trippier, you yeah, know, yeah, he played well. All, all of these players that have played through pressure mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Who have played at, at the largest stage. Yeah. But then you have Jaden Sancho mm-hmm. and, and Saka who really have not yeah like like about 10 caps between them (laughs) yeah exactly like yeah i I feel like southgate gets a lot of criticism some Mm -hmm. warranted some unwarranted but i think of all of his time 
managing England, that has to be up there for one of the most confusing decisions out yeah. of him. Yep, I agree. Because you have so many other players at your disposal who have taken good mm-hmm. penalties, have been in situations like this, and you don't. I, I know Saka is an Arsenal player, right? So yeah. I was just going to ask you, I saw this like crazy stat on Reddit that said that he's never taken a, like, a professional penalty kick. Is that, no. is that true? Do you kick- yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think he has. I, I, I mean, Lacazette or Aubameyang are, are penalty taker. Oh, Pepe yeah. takes penalties too. I mean, but yeah, I mean, Saka, he's not a penalty taker. I'm, I'm sure he practices wow. them, you know, and yeah. practice or whatever, but that's not the same thing. And it's just, I, I don't, I don't know why he was, I, I'm happy for him, I guess, that he was a, given the opportunity that uh-huh. you know, his team and his coach like trusted him enough, but it's, it's a strange, it's, it's a weird one because uh, of what happened, you know, that it, it's very unfortunate for him and he probably shouldn't have have to deal with um, what, what comes next, you know? Like this yeah. is a lot for a 19 year old who has like say five caps and has like never taken a professional penalty before. It's a lot of weight to bear. Mm-hmm. So hope he's all right. Yeah. I, I, I hope for all three of those guys that they're all right. And yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, we have the final third. We, we tweeted this earlier, but we're already seeing examples of racism being hurled yeah. at them. Yeah. We're, we're already seeing like literally like, black people in England being targeted mm-hmm. because Sancho Rashford and Saka are all black that they're, they're mm-hmm. uh, English Africans yeah. or whatever. Like they, it, it's so, so unfortunate just to see them miss that. And I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm afraid of the racism that's going to get hurled at them, especially because, especially for Saka, who is very, very young, mm-hmm. ju- just like popped up in the professional scene very recently. Like, yeah. I, I'm sure you obviously like feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's not good. I mean, my, my whole Twitter feed is, you know, a lot of the people that I follow are English because that's just how I follow, you know, a lot of Arsenal stuff mm-hmm. um, and all of them, you know, so excited coming into the game. They've been tweeting for the past like couple of days, like, Oh, it's coming home. You know, um, they go out, they lose. And not a single person is like, all of them are just saying how the, the only talking point um, is, is the racism that's going around. Yeah. Like none of them are like, Oh, so sad we lost, or I can't believe this happened or all of it is just, we shouldn't be like the racism that is going around is despicable and has to stop. Like that's the only talking point among English Twitter users that I have seen personally mm-hmm. from the people that I, you know, I follow, uh, which is just crazy. Like you, you were just in a final, you know, you just, it, and it hurts to lose. I, I'm sure they, there's a lot of things that uh, they would like to say regarding tactics, you know, South gate substitutions and stuff. But the only thing that's being talked about is how is the amount of racism that is going on yeah. because of um, those, because of what happened um, with the penalties. And that's just, crazy to me yeah like we, we can't even talk about the game because there's mm-hmm. just some dumb people out there who decide to take upon themselves to be racist and that's yeah that that's that's just terrible yeah exactly so yeah well yeah. let's move on and talk about what this means for italy and then we can go talk mm-hmm. about just the euros as a whole before we talk about some copa america so yeah, read good. 
you guys missed out on the 2018 World Cup. What, what does this win just mean for the Italian national team in general? Uh, this, this win is huge. I mean, it, like you said, we missed out on the 2018 World Cup. Um, and that, that was really painful. You know, that's the same year the U.S. missed out. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, it, was, it hurt a lot to have this team that had like, never met. I think they'd missed one before in the past in like the 40s or something maybe. Um, but you know, this, this European giant just wasn't, didn't qualify for the world cup. And, but since then, uh, Roberto Mancini has taken over. And just like I said, I talked about it earlier, but he's just done wonders with this team, you know, coming into the tournament, we were on a 28, 27 game winning streak. And we won every single one of our games in the tournament. You know, we won the tournament. So we're on a currently 34 game winning streak. Or, mm-hmm. which I think is um, one away from tying the all-time international wow. record. Um, so, like, to, to come into the tournament with being that close already and then winning every single game and winning the tournament and still having the win streak, of, you know, like, there and alive. Or I think, I, sorry, undefeated, not winning streak, but undefeated streak, you know, still haven't lost that's there's so much momentum for Italy right now. And um, it's looking really good. They definitely the team of the tournament um, for me. And I think for a lot of people, they just played so well. So bright future ahead. I think maybe the biggest concern uh, lies in the attack, um, which is kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, we scored a lot of goals, you know, we won all like, three zero couple times so that might sound a little bit surprising but if you watch the games if you watch uh like immobile he he is just playing out of a system that th- it doesn't work for him yeah so we're kind of playing with 10 men um and and even today there we created we didn't create um a ton of like clear-cut chances or golden opportunities or anything but we created a lot of chances uh, especially in the second half that you know, a ball was played in and they just kind of whiffed or played just behind someone. Um, and that was a, that was a, um, theme, uh, in Euro qualifying. Um, I know, right. you know, not every watches all of that, but yeah, I did. And, um, we just struggled to put chances away. So we, we, we got the, we got all the results. We won, you know, 10 out of 10 games. Um, but you know, sometimes there were one Oh wins when they could have been five Oh wins, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's just one of my worries going forward. Um, the immobile Bellati striker situation that neither one really fits this, the current system, which can be worrisome, especially when you get to the world cup, um, you know, you're going to be playing the best of the best and you have to be in top form. Um, and then I guess the other thing would be Benucci and Chiellini. They're extremely old. Yeah. They're, they're really, I mean, they played fantastically. I, I don't have any, I was never worried. Uh, about either one but they could snap at any point you know um or something could happen to them at any point so that's the other kind of uh worry i suppose but it's you know right now we're looking good (laughs) i'm I'm positive right now yeah so we'll take this win and we'll move forward Mm -hmm. there there are definitely concerns like you mentioned i i did i i did note that you know that central defense is getting old but you have so some nice new guard in other positions: Donnarumma, mm-hmm. Locatelli, Chiesa, Barella, Jorginho, yeah, Spinazzola, Verratti, Bellati. Like, 
guys who are either entering their prime or are mm -hmm. right in the middle of it. Like yeah. you got, you guys got to be feeling confident going into the UEFA Nations League finals that are happening just this fall. Yeah, yeah. Hosted in Italy in uh, M Milan and Turin. Like this is, yeah. You have to be the favorites going in, and maybe even the favorites to win the World Cup next year, depending on how player development goes, how tactics yeah. tinkering goes. Like absolutely. I, I, I'm very excited for Italy. And that is the Euros. Reed, uh, I'm, I'm glad you were able to talk Euros with us. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, sad Jack wasn't you. able to join us to complain about uh, complain about France more, but I, I do want to <laughs> move on to the Copa America because that all, right. obviously happened as well yeah. uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'll give a quick recap for the final. It was, it was Argentina versus Brazil, as everybody knows. Angel Di Maria just had a great chip in the 22nd minute to get Argentina up 1-0. Like, that was a, a very, very good finish. And after that, Brazil just came down really, really hard, created eight chances, and mm -hmm. outshot Argentina 13-6. to six. Mm -hmm. I got to highlight some key players for Argentina as they won this. Rodrigo De Paul, Di Maria, yes. and that in, there was an in midfield. Altamendi in the defense, and obviously Emmy Martinez, former Arsenal man. Uh, not anymore, obviously. He was yeah. in goal and he came up huge. Messi didn't have the big game, but for me, what this final kind of represented was these teammates that worked together to keep a competent, dangerous Brazil side out. Like after years and years of Messi carrying this Argentina team, we finally have some players on Argentina that previously had let Messi down, like Di Maria and Altamendi, live up to the hype and actually elevate them past the the, the 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 title holders and win this Copa America. And they became just the second team to beat Brazil in the the Maracana in the in a competitive match in their 107 year history. They're yeah. one of two teams. That's absolutely insane. Reed, what what did you get out of this final? Yeah. Uh it was a fantastic game. So fun to watch. Um, I think you highlighted all the key players that um, I also had highlighted, you know, Di Maria, uh, DePaul was oh, so phenomenal yeah. in the midfield uh, player of the game for me. Uh, I mean, he was the one that assisted that Di Maria chip. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful ball. Um, Otamendi was so strong in the back uh, and Martinez, all, all of them had great games, just kind of the spine right there. Um, like you said, Messi, he didn't have his best game and that's okay. And they won. And like you said, I mean, just like you mentioned that it's a huge talking point that this Argentina team finally is a team, you know, it's not one man. Mm -hmm. I given he's uh, scored four and assisted five. That's, you know, he, he's still ridiculous. Yeah. He's still obviously their best player. Um, he did that throughout the tournament, but uh, he, he, he was able to not have his best game and they were able to win a game. Like you said, in the Americana second team to do it. I think this is the first time that Brazil has um, lost the Copa America when hosting as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was uh, just such a great game. Uh, I think you touched on a lot of the, the uh, big things for Brazil um, from, from the Brazilian standpoint, it was, a bit disappointing. I, you know, I mean, For I sure. think this is one of Brazil's uh, strongest teams uh, over the past couple of years. 
and they, I mean, they created a lot of chances. You know, Neymar played well. I don't know if he had a shot or any any shot that's worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was he was creative. That um, so that was good. But they just they just couldn't break down this Argentina team, and it looked it looked a lot like the Argentina players wanted it so much more. I yeah. think. Um, I, you, you could see uh, when the final whistle was blown, you know, Messi fell to his knees. He starts, you know, crying into his hands. And every single player for Argentina just ran to him and just yeah. hugged him. You could just tell how much they wanted this for him and how much it meant to them to give him this international trophy to end Argentina's 28-year trophy drought. Um, so that was really, really fantastic to see. Very happy for him and for the team. Yeah. There. Uh- they had to, to to Neymar's credit, they did have to like hack him down by the by the second half, like just yeah, some, no. some crazy yeah. tackles on him. So yeah. he he was doing all he could. Yeah, but I agree. Ar- Argentina were just uh, just a step above, mm-hmm. and you know Messi got his first international trophy finally after years and years of trying. Yeah, making it to the World Cup final, Copa America final, and just just falling short mm-hmm. every single time. So Reed. I want to ask you this question, and it's a question that we're going to be asking ourselves for the next couple of weeks. What does this mean for Messi's legacy? Can we finally say that he is undoubtedly the greatest player in the world? It's a big question, I know, but yeah, I do mean, you think do you think we can? I yeah, I mean, for for me, he he is the best player in the world. Even before this, I um, right. I Same. thought he was he was for me my best player. Um, just, I mean, you just watch him and he just, he just knows what he's doing. It's a, it's, it's a, an, an instinctual thing um, that you can tell that he has that other players just don't have. He just was born to play this game. Um, and in terms of legacy, I, you know, it, it, uh, huge for him and it, it boosts his, uh, argument for the greatest of all time. But I, I mean, I don't think he needed it anyways. Um, fair, fair. but it, I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely a, a, a big trophy for him. And I think one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, in, in Argentina, there's a lot of people that, you know, obviously they all love him for the most part, but there's a lot of people that don't rate him as highly as Maradona or, and sometimes, uh, don't like him because he hasn't been able to bring the kind of glory that Maradona brought them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Maradona's era, I think he won. Um, he won the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he won a Copa America, but you know he was able to bring success to the Argentinian team that Messi hasn't been able to bring. And so, for Messi to be able to finally bring something to the team to lift that trophy as the captain um, and have that international success is probably such a huge burden off of his shoulders. Yeah. Um, from like the the fans of his own nation, you know, um, so yeah, I, un- undoubtedly the greatest for me. Yeah, and it's not just Argentinians who were obviously hating him. It's all of his rivals or yeah. fans of his rivals, all all the fifteen year olds on Twitter trying <laughs> to discredit him because yep. because he doesn't have an international trophy. But now uh-huh. now you 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 can't say that. Like, yeah we're not going to have like analysts on Fox sports or ESPN mm-hmm. for years to come being like, yeah, Messi obviously got X amount of ball indoors, X amount mm-hmm. of champions leagues, like so many goals. 
but he didn't win the the Copa America or World Cup with Argentina. Yeah. yeah. The fact that he has at least one to his name now. Yeah. Maybe the World Cup next year. We'll see how that goes. But the fact that he has one really, I think, means everything for his his argument for uh, being the greatest player of all time. I, I'm exactly with you. I, I yeah. think that he was the greatest player of all time before this or and obviously now after it. Yeah. But the fact that not only did he win this, he got the trophy, but he also I saw this on Reddit. It's an incredible stat. He was the first player in a yeah. major international tournament to get the most goals, mm-hmm. the most assists, and the player of the tournament. Like he yeah. is, uh, yeah. Being <laughs> able to watch him is just such such a gift for all of us. Yes, that that is absolutely insane. For then, that's for every international tournament, right? Like, yeah, like no one like, at any international tournament yeah, has ever no Euro, that. no World Cup, no right. Gold Cup, no Copa yeah. America, nothing. Yeah. So I mean that that's just a, a, amazing. Yeah, he and, is truly amazing. And the the fact that he's not he's not done yet. You know, yeah. he's uh, he's unemployed right now, technically, <laughs> technically, yeah, but I'm easy. sure he's gonna sign for Barcelona. I'm I'm pretty yeah, sure at least he's got it. He's got yeah. It. <laughs> He he's still got at least a couple more years playing for Barcelona or mm-hmm. uh, a similar level team. Yeah. He's got another chance at uh, a World Cup next year. Mm-hmm. D- uh, real quick, do you do you rate his, his chances to get a, a second international trophy at the at the World Cup, or oh, are, are you backing tough. Italy? Perhaps I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's definitely better teams out there than Argentina currently. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is a great Argentinian team. Um, one of I mean, to equal, you know, Brazil, one of the best Argentina teams in a while. So I think, um, and I think they're going to have that drive um, to get a World Cup. Of course, everybody wants to win a World Cup, but also, you know, for Messi, I know Messi is going to want to win that World Cup. So with this team, um, especially. So I think they're going to be really fun to watch and one, uh, a team to keep an eye out on for sure going into that tournament. Yeah, they they have some players that I've always been Big fans of uh, Paredes, mm-hmm. Latoro Martinez, both uh, stepped it up. Uh, Emmy yeah. Martinez uh, obviously had some some uh, great moments. He uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he obviously had the 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 hip thrust when he yeah. when he saved the the penalties last game. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this, but he used his both his like what his golden glove uh, yeah, trophy, the, the trophy, yeah, and the <laughs> Copa America trophy in a some very phallic ways. So he's. Mm-hmm. He's very into that, so very yeah. entertaining Argentinian team, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, congratulations to Argentina and Lionel Messi again. Mm-hmm. Great final to watch, uh, both Euros and Copa America. But that is it. Well, obviously, we wanted to spend a lot of time on that. I-, I mentioned the past couple weeks, talking about MLS, talking about some USL. Uh, we had just so much to talk about that... I- we decided not to talk about that. And I promise, I promise all of our listeners, because I know that we have a very strong contingent of MLS fans listening to us. Uh, I promise we'll spend at least half the episode talking about MLS and USL next week. But I, I did want to give at least a couple minutes to the U.S. men's national team because they are beginning their Gold Cup uh, campaign. Uh, we are recording this just a a couple minutes before the, the the lineups and the the gold cup starts for the U.S. men's national team, so I decided to talk about some transfers that are happening 
uh, as we gear up towards the fall uh, and the, the the season starts for Europe. And I wanted to start a, a kind of a, a new segment for the U.S. men's national team corner where I talk about a big story with the U.S. men's national team. And that is USMNT transfer hot or not. I basically give you a couple of transfers and I say whether it's a, a good move for that that uh, a person, if they, I feel like they're going to get uh, some good development there or if it's not and they should either not move there or prepare for the worst. I don't know. Maybe a little bit dark, but <laughs> let's get started with the, the first one. It's Tanner Testman of S- FC Dallas going to Venezia, which is a newly promoted side in Syria from Venice, the Canal City. First of all, a beautiful city to play in, so I guess that's a, an already a hot transfer for him. But obviously, Tanner Testman is a, a great creative midfielder from FC Dallas, still really young. He's getting a medical now. And because Venezia is a, a newly promoted side, there's obviously spots up for grabs. So for that reason, I think he's going to get a lot of competition, but I think it's going to elevate him. I'm going to say this is a hot transfer. Second, Sebastian Soto to Porto. He's been on the Norwich U23s for a while, and obviously he was on loan to Telstar in the Dutch uh, second division. But ever since coming back, getting recalled from loan, he's not getting any real minutes there at the end of the season, kind of ghosted since uh, the U.S. men's national team's failure at Olympic qualifying. Now he's on his way to probably Porto B. I don't think he's going to play for the first team. And honestly, I know the second uh, division in Portugal is still very good, but I think that if you want to succeed, you're going to have to get some first team minutes eventually. I don't think he's going to get that at Porto, even if he's going to get some good training and development there. I say he should either go to MLS or even just a, a smaller uh, team a team in maybe the Austrian league. I'm going with this transfer being a not, not hot. Soto, I'm sorry. I, I hope you can get better because I, I was a really big fan of you. Uh, third is Horvath to Fulham. He was a bench warmer at Club Bruges on his way to newly relegated Fulham FC in the EFL Championship. This is still just a rumor, but obviously last season they had uh, Areola as their starting goalkeeper. Now they have Rodak back, which could be competition, but I think Horvath and, and Rodak are very similar levels of goalkeeping. So I think that getting that competition at a level which I think he is at, which is the EFL championship, still very, very good, has the tools to get them promoted. I'm going to say this is a hot transfer. Number four, Sergeant to Bayer Leverkusen. A very, very weak, weak rumor as of right now, but Sergeant played for recently relegated Werder Bremen, put up okay numbers for a bad squad, and now Bayer Leverkusen are calling. But they do have your 2020 star, Patrick Schick, of top that is going to be very very hard so i'm gonna say that this transfer is a hot slash not hot transfer on one hand you'd he'd be a backup and probably not get a lot of minutes at all because schick is like their main man but if rumors are true and schick is on his way out then he could be competing with uh, the other strikers that they have on that squad and could potentially make his way to striker number one i'm gonna say hot slash not hot just based off of that Maybe he can go to a smaller club like Freiburg, Stuttgart, or Hoffenheim. Who knows? Uh, the last transfer I wanted to highlight, or transfer rumor, rather, is Anthony Robinson to either Manchester City or Wolves. He was a starter for Fulham who got relegated and was honestly one of the better left-backs in the league in terms of uh, attacking and the creativity he brought on the wing. He'd have competition 
with uh, Zinchenko if you want to Man City and Nuri and Semedo, especially Semedo for Wolves. The thing about this is I, I don't think you should go to Wolves. I wouldn't be mad if you went to Man City. Uh, any FPL Fantasy Premier League player will know that Pep Guardiola will play every single player on Manchester City at least once. Even if a player just scored a hat trick, he will bench them the next game. I'm sure that he, if he, if he could, he'd play some of the Manchester City fans. That's how much he loves to rotate. So I think Anthony Robinson will get some significant minutes. So I'm going to say this is a hot transfer. That is the U.S. men's national team hot or not uh, segments for the U.S. men's national team corner. I'm going to talk about some Gold Cup next week, so keep an eye out for that. And with that, let's get on to last week's predictions. Awesome. Let's talk about last week's predictions a little bit. Uh, the way that the scoring system for the prediction segment uh, works is that we, you know, we guess the result uh, and scoreline of a, a match, and we get 20 points if we get the exact scoreline correct, 10 points if we don't get the scoreline correct, but we get the result at least correct, and zero points if we can't do either. The first game that we predicted was Brazil versus Peru in uh, the Copa America. It was a semifinal, and Brazil came out of the gate swinging and got a first-half goal through a great move and assist uh from Neymar to Lucas Paqueta. In the second half, Peru really grew into the game, and it seemed like they could possibly get an equalizer. They had a really good showing overall. However, Brazil's defense remained sturdy to deny them, and Brazil won 1-0. Uh, and although Tite plays very defensive soccer sometimes, if it works, it works. And it worked to them uh, and got them to the final. I guess a 2-1 win for 10 points. Jack got a 3-0 th- win for Brazil. They got 10 points. Uh, the game, of course, ended 1-0. to nil. Uh, Argentina versus Colombia was our second uh, semifinal that we covered of the Copa America. It ended up being 1-1. to one. Argentina going through on penalties. I should mention that if it ends up going to penalties and the team that we predicted would win wins that penalties, we don't get 10 points. We get 5 points, however. Really important to note there. And I gotta say, Messi is insane. So, so inspirational. He assisted Lautaro Martinez for the opening goal in the seventh minute, meaning that at this point at the tournament, he's been involved in nine out of 11 Argentina goals. Argentina has had some great chances in this game, but for the most part, it was an even match. Case in point, Luis Diaz caught the Argentine defense sleeping as he was on the other side of a great counterattack that leveled the game. So the game ended 1-1 to and went to penalties. The story of the shootout was Emmy Martinez of Argentina and Aston Villa trash-talking every Colombian penalty shooter, saying stuff like, I'm going to eat you up, and I know you, I know what you'll do. And he would save those penalties. He saved a grand total of three penalties and sent Argentina through. Both Jack and I predicted Argentina would win. I said 1-0. Jack said 2-0. We didn't get the exact scoreline right, but because Argentina went on on penalties, we both get 10 points. All right, next up is uh, the Euro Championship semifinals. Italy versus Spain ended up being 1-1. to Italy going on on penalties. After a deadlock first half, Federico Chiesa found himself at the end of an Italian counterattack and like he does, finished beautifully to put Italy up 1-0. Morata answered back in the 80th minute to put Spain level, assisted by a great pass from Daniel Olmo. Spain dominated possession and XG, but as always, couldn't finish their chances. So after 120 minutes, they went to penalties. Morata, maybe unsurprisingly, missed his shot, and Jorginho, cool as ever, sent Italy through. 
I predicted a 3-2 win for Italy. Jack said 3-1. We didn't get the scoreline right, but we did guess that Italy would win at some point. So we get five points because they went on to penalties and won. The other semifinal that we predicted from the Euros was England versus Denmark. Ended up being 2-1 to to the home side, England. Mikel Damsgaard put Denmark up in the 30th minute with an absolutely stunning free kick from far out. Saka of England forced an own goal out of Dan- Danish uh, captain Simon Kjar. I always forgot how to pronounce that. Leveling the game at halftime and an extra time. A very, very contentious dive slash foul on Raheem Sterling. Set Kane up for a penalty kick. Kasper Schmeichel saved the ball but couldn't hang on to it and Harry Kane scored the rebound. England won 2-1 to one and went to their first final since 1966. That didn't end up too well for them. I said 2-1 to one for England. And guess what? Guess what? I got it exactly correctly. I got 20 points out of that. Jack, ah, he guessed the 2-1, to one, but for the wrong side, Denmark tried to get that uh, feel-good factor. Didn't actually work out. He got zero points for that. Last game was FC Cincinnati versus Columbus Crew in MLS. Ended up being a 2-2 two to two draw. And hell is real. Both the name of the rivalry and a fact, FC Cincinnati were on a mission. They wanted their first win in their new stadium to be against their rivals. Edgar Castillo hit a brilliant shot outside the box that Cincy up one to nil in the very first minute. Acosta scored another goal for FC Cincinnati in the 24th minute, and it seemed like they were cruising. Harrison Afful, uh, Awful, right back for Columbus, got a second yellow and was sent off in the 42nd minute, and all seemed lost for them. But never fear, because Zellerion is here. He scored an absolutely worldy from far out to bring it back within one for Columbus and assisted Michael Berry in the 77th minute to equalize this game 2-2. Still no home win for Cincy. We both guessed the draw. Jack said 0-0. I said 1-1, both for 10 points. This week ended up being a pretty good week for me. I got 50 points in all. Jack only got 30, so I collect another win to add to my collection. Yes. All right. On to next week's predictions. Uh, Reed, we are back talking about next week's predictions. We have uh, Jack, who is also recorded, pre-recorded his uh, side of things, what he thinks is going to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll intersplice that a little bit. But the first game that we're talking about, Reed, is Mexico versus Guatemala in the Gold Cup. All right. I'm just here doing some predictions for this week. From California, this is going to be really quick, though. So the first game that we have is Mexico versus Guatemala in the Gold Cup. Overall, both of these teams are good. They deserve to be in the Gold Cup. But Mexico, despite drawing 0-0 with Trinidad and Tobago, perhaps disappointingly, should still win this one. I'm going to say that they win it 2-0, keeping another clean sheet in their Gold Cup campaign. Jack said it's going to be 2-0 to Mexico. What do you think is going to happen? Well, that's that's actually uh, the same scoreline that I have uh, here. Yeah, I think um, a little bit of a toss-up uh, in terms of Mexico, um, what they're going to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, Irving Lozano got uh, pretty seriously injured last night. Yeah. Um, I hope he's all right. I actually haven't heard any news about that um, since then. But he had to be stretchered off pretty pretty early into the game, and he was, you know, by far their best attacking player. So without him, I'm not sure exactly what they're going to look like going forward. They drew last night zero mm-hmm. zero against Trinidad. Um, so, but I think I think this Guatemala team is a lot weaker than Trinidad, um, and I think Mexico will be pretty upset 
um, with how it went last night. And I, I think they're going to come out and um, I think they're going to definitely be able to score, um, probably put one or two away. So that's kind of where what I'm thinking for that game. All right. So you and Jack are both on the same page. Uh, an update on Lozano, because I actually did read about this. Okay. Uh, optimally, he'd be back in six to seven weeks. So he's going to be out of the Gold Cup. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty bad head injury or mm-hmm. neck injury uh, as the, the Trinidad goalkeeper crashed into him. Yeah. There, there were pictures of him in the hospital with a neck brace. So, but, but he, he, he is conscious. He is responsive. He is in good spirits. So, okay. That's Glad good. that Lozano's there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, something that I, I I think really tipped the scale for me personally. Uh, you mentioned Mexico not having a great showing against Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. I'd expect Guatemala to bunker as well as mm-hmm. Trinidad did, but it's going to be harder for them. And I don't think it's going to be the same result because if you remember, this game was supposed to be against Curacao. Guatemala uh-huh. is not supposed to be here. The reason why they're here is Curacao had a COVID outbreak and right. Guatemala being the, the, the next best team mm-hmm. got in. They fired their head coach after they failed to qualify the first time around. Yeah. And they're, they, they're having to bring a lot of youth players. Mm-hmm. So I am not really confident about their chances. So I went with three to zero for Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that, that that's pretty fair. We'll mm-hmm. see how that goes. Uh, I, I think that's the most clear-cut uh, results of, of any of these games. And so I'm curious to see where it goes from from here on out because we're, we're talking about this next game. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit beforehand. You are an Atlanta United fan going against New England, which is top of the East. Yeah. How are you feeling? Who do you think is going to win? Uh, not feeling great, and I think New England is going to win this game. I think it'd be crazy to think that Atlanta would win this game. Um, I don't know how uh, familiar you are with uh, Atlanta's team currently, but I think we have 14 players out right now wow, 14. due to um, injury. I think like 12 or 11 or 12 are due to injury and then the other are for, you know, yellow card suspension mm-hmm. um, for this game. But we have been very plagued with injury this season, um, which has hurt us a lot. Um, I think we will have uh, Joseph back. That's um, good. Martinez, which is good. Yeah. I, we, we haven't seen him in about a month or two. It seems uh, there was about that like month long break. Um, mm-hmm. So international break. So that, uh, you know, as part of that, but he will be back, I think for this game, which is great because, um, really what, uh, what is lacking for us is attack. We just don't have any, um, you know, Barco hasn't really shown out a lot. Um, Moreno has been a little lackluster. Uh, we're playing Kubo Torres up top and I, he hasn't scored a single goal. I don't even know if he's like, yeah, he it's, it's not been good for us going forward. So, um, Heinze, I think, uh, is, uh, he's been good for us. Obviously, he wants to implement a brand new system. We have a lot of brand new players. Um, so it's going to take time. Uh, I, I mentioned our record, I think, is about uh, two, seven, and three. So we're drawing a lot of games, which isn't great, but at least we're not losing them, you know? Um, That's very true. Yeah. I, think, um, I think there's a lot for us to build on, but I don't think uh, we're going to build on it this game. Uh, oh. New England's in a really good um, 
Um, they've been really good this season. They have lost, I think, their two of their last three games. Right. Drew one of them, yeah. And yeah, so not the best uh, form currently, but I still expect them to. Atlanta United just doesn't have anything going for them, really. Um, I think we've scored four goals in our last five games, and they've all been um, from corner set pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just expect New England. I, I have uh, New England with a 3-0 win over Atlanta Whoa. United. Um, I just I, I don't feel great about that, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I'm hoping for something better, you know? Yeah. Next, we go over to the MLS with Atlanta United versus New England Revolution. Atlanta are not doing as well as they usually do, and New England are doing particularly well, although they are on a pretty poor run of form. That being said, I think the fact that Atlanta are struggling so much combined with what we know New England can do, I'm going to say New England win this one 2-1 to one overall, pr- probably like a Carlos Gill goal uh, from outside the box or something, something spectacular. Oh, man. Well, you and Jack are not the exact same result, but he is also betting on New England to win two to one against Atlanta. Uh, You guys are also missing due to international uh, duty. Guzan, Bello and Robinson. Yeah, we are missing Barco, too, um, because he's going to Tokyo. Yeah. Oh, man. Like that is 23s of Argentina. Yeah, that's that's obviously very tough, but. New England, to their credit, are also missing Matt Turner and uh, mm-hmm. Tejan Buchanan, uh, so, so th- their best goalkeeper and mm-hmm. one of their best attackers. They conceded three goals because their their new goalkeeper. I'm, I'm blanking on his name because like who cares about him? <laughs> like, right. It, it's not a good situation. Both of your uh, teams right now, New England, yeah. are on bad form. Atlanta. I, I look this up. Pretty. Uh, don't mean to make you any more sad than you are, but they're winless in seven, including a three nil hammering from the Chicago Fire. Yeah, teams. Yeah, they have. Chicago have had a good run of form recently, that is, but that, that is very true. Yeah. They have been. They up to then they've been very bad. Yes. Yeah. So not exactly great from Atlanta. There. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is kind of hard to predict with so many key players out. Like I think if, mm-hmm. if Atlanta and new England were at full strength, I can kind of like be like, yeah, I, th- I think Atlanta have this. It's, it's at home. Obviously I think they'll do mm-hmm. it, but it's so hard to separate these two teams. Cause you guys are going to be playing with two squads that we really have not seen enough of, uh, especially on new England's side. So for that reason, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic for you, Reed. I'm going to say Thank it's going to be a 2-2 draw. I think draw Lanta continues. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, I, I think you guys squeak out with a point against the, the league leaders from the East. Uh, I'm feeling pretty confident about that, if not nothing more than I think that with you guys missing both your starting goalkeepers, something cool is going to happen. So, I don't, yeah. know. I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the third game is another MLS game, and it's the reverse fixture of a, a game that Jack and I predicted way, way earlier in the MLS mm-hmm. season, Minnesota United versus Seattle Sounders. You know, For being Minnesota United fans, Jack and I don't really talk about uh, or predict, I'd rather, Minnesota United's games, but this is probably going to be 
their most important, I think, going forward in the season. Then we go to the rematch, I match, I guess, of Minnesota United versus Seattle Sounders. This is going to be an exciting one because, you know, of the 4-0 win by Seattle against Minnesota earlier in the season. But this Minnesota United team is a little bit stronger. They were seven games unbeaten until that ended at Colorado, but they're still a very strong team. But Seattle are as well although they are missing a few key players. I'm going to go with my heart on this one. Maybe uh, maybe that'll be my downfall, but I'll go for Minnesota United winning this one probably just 1-0, to zero, same as we did against the Portland Timbers. Uh, Jack, very optimistically said a 1-0 to zero win for Minnesota United. I have absolutely no hope in that being the scoreline or the result. Seattle are riding an MLS record 13 game unbeaten streak to start the season. Rui Diaz is on top of the golden boot race and they're succeeding as a team, despite missing Lodero, Nuhu, Fry or Morris. Mm -hmm. Minnesota obviously went on a seven game unbeaten streak of their own lost, unfortunately to Colorado Rapids two to nail this past week. Personally, I think this comes down to, this entire game comes down to whether or not Minnesota United get their center backs, Michael Boxel and DeBossi back. If they are still injured, there's no chance at all. Not a snowball's chance in hell. But if they do get them back, then we might get a draw at at the the most optimistic. Is that that's as optimistic as I'm going to get. Yeah. Minnesota has not won a single game against Seattle in the MLS era, Mm -hmm. obviously. They lost that conference final, giving up a two to nil yeah, lead. It was brutal. It was brutal. I'm so glad that the final third did not have a Twitter account at that time because <laughs> I think we'd have to deactivate after that. <laughs> I was rooting for you guys. Yeah. Uh, I feel like everyone was, but <laughs> unfortunately, that didn't happen. And we also lost the season opener four to zero against them. Yeah. So I'm going with the most optimistic I can go a one to one draw. Reed. Can you be optimistic for us, or are you on the Seattle train? Ooh, uh, definitely the Seattle train. Uh, that, I mean, that, that, that thing is moving, man. The, they are just in impeccable form, like you mentioned. The, they haven't lost a game. Um, the 13-game unbeaten streak, the, Rui Diaz just firing on all cylinders. I, I don't see it stopping uh, in this game. Uh, I, have a, I do have a... a Two to one for Seattle. So I do have you guys scoring. I think you guys have been, um, you know, you've been playing some pretty good ball recently. I, mm-hmm. You mentioned the seven game unbeaten streak. Um, you're getting goals here and there. So yeah, um, I I do think that you can uh, can get one, and make it interesting for sure. It's just really hard to bet against Seattle right now. Yeah, and for sure. uh, they're just such a what Brian Schmetzer has done for them. Absolutely, is just insane. So they're such a strong team. So that's, that's, that's my feeling. Yeah. Oh, we got all three different results for that uh, game. So I'm really looking forward to, to that next game. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what we all think about this. Speaking of Portland though, let's go over to the NWSL with the Portland Thorns versus Orlando pride second versus third in the NWSL. Orlando Pride are on a very poor run of form. They have not won in three games, and Portland have won two of their last three games. Portland also, and Orlando, I should say, are missing some very good players. 
due to the Olympics. But overall, I think that the Portland Thorns, their quality will shine through and they're at home. So that should help them quite a bit. Uh, I'll just go for three to one for the Portland Thorns in this one. Jack said it's going to be three to one win for Portland Thorns. And this is the NWSL game between mm-hmm. the Portland Thorns and Orlando Pride. However, this is also just like the MLS games, a little bit of a toss up because yep. we are in the Olympic season for the, the U.S. women's national team and the other women's national teams. And they have already been called up and they are mm-hmm. with their respective national teams. This is the, the second seed right now, Orlando versus the third seed Thorns. Portland are in good form. Three wins, one draw, one loss in the last five games. Uh, they lost two to zero against North Carolina, which is the blemish for them. However, and this is where we talked about missing international players. They're missing Crystal Dunn, Lindsey Horan, Adriana Ranch, and Becky Sauerbrunn due to U.S. Women's National Team call-ups. Like, that is some of the, the, the best players in the mm-hmm. NWSL. And, of course, the GOAT herself, Canadian Christine Sinclair, is also out. Yeah. Orlando are missing Alex Morgan, Marta of Brazil, Aaron Mecliad, and Ali Riley, if I believe New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They're both missing huge players. However, Orlando are still keeping goalkeeper Ashley Harris, defender Ali Krieger, some of really talented players like Amy Turner. Overall, I think their defense is still really good. And Sydney LaRue can play as the striker. I, I think he, she can add mm-hmm. a lot to the attack because they're missing uh, Marta and Alex Morgan. However, I can't say the same about Portland. Crystal Dunn, Lindsay Horan, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Adriana Ranch are, and Christine Sinclair, they're all five super, super key players for this uh, Portland Thorns team. So even though Orlando Pride aren't on the best form, I'm going with a two to one win for Orlando at uh, Providence Park. Reed, what do you say about this NWSL game? I actually have a two to one win for Portland Thorns. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I think uh, like I think you mentioned a lot of the important stuff. They've uh, got a lot of key players missing, um, but I think it kind of evens out we'll say um right. orlando has had a um two two losses and a draw in their last three games um and portland uh they haven't been much better one loss one draw and a win uh these two teams met earlier orlando won uh two to one in the season um but i i just feel like uh Portlander is going to be able to. They're they're these teams are so tight in the table. I'm mm-hmm. the top. Uh, they're tied on 16 points with North Carolina, also on 16. Um, like you said, bit of a toss up, but uh, I have Portland uh, just out outdoing Orlando on this occasion. Yeah, and, and also to be fair to you and Jack, playing in Providence Park, whether it's against the Thorns or the Timbers, is. Yeah quite a hard ask for any team so i could definitely seeing it swing either way yeah and now i'm curious to see what you think about this next game and i'm gonna let you take the lead on this one it's the u.s men's national team versus the canadians men's national team the last game in the group stage for uh this gold cup group was it c b i don't i don't even know uh, yeah. uh but obviously this is, this is a big game all right group b group b yeah. Who is taking this? Is it a draw? Is it a Canadian win? Is it a U.S. win? Reed, what do you think? 
Um, I think it had, it's gotta be a U.S. win. Um, all right. All right. You know, I think, uh, we should win this game. I think, uh, our players match up, uh, better. I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the same roster that we had in the nation's league for mm-hmm. sure. Um, a lot more MLS play, based players, um, almost no European. So I expect a little bit of a drop in, um, uh, performance, if you will. Yeah. But yeah. I think I, that that's fine. I don't think we need to be going all out, but I do expect us to, uh, I expect us to do well still. I expect us to win this game. Um, I have a two Oh, a two Oh win for the U S. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like yeah. it. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see how that goes. I think it'll be a lot clearer after we see the U S play tonight against Haiti. Canada's currently up four to one on Martinique. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So that, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, it is, we're, we're a little bit better than Martinique. I, I think so. I, I'd hope so. I'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we'll be able to, uh, do do something a little bit different there, but I, yeah. I feel I feel pretty confident going into this tournament. Really, um, I think we've got some good players. I, we, you know, like you mentioned, Miles Robinson um, from Atlanta United. He's been so so good for us. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him uh, replicate that for the U.S. team and get a, a a really good chance with them. I know it's hard to compete with European players, but uh, I think he's a really top talent. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think we missed Miles Robinson uh, in the Olympic qualifying. I think, I think yeah. wholeheartedly, if we have Miles Robinson, we're getting ready for Tokyo right now. I, I truly yeah. believe that, uh, and I, I think he is going to have a great tournament. I think the likes of Matt Turner, Eric Williamson, Gianluca Busio are going to have a great tournament. And I hope yep. that Very they can exciting. carry that to this Canadian team. Right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard Reed, but. Davies is out for Canada. Right? Yeah, that's also yeah. That's huge. That you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously they they didn't have Jonathan David. I know they have mm-hmm. Kyle Laren. I think he's playing right now, so they have him at least. And then finally, we have the U.S. men's national team facing off against rivals Canada in the Gold Cup in the group stage. Obviously, this isn't as strong of a U.S. men's national team as we've seen in recent years, but it is still very good. But Canada has been hampered by some injuries. They are missing their star player, Alfonso Davies, which might hurt them a little bit. I think the U.S. might end up drawing this one. I don't think they're they're going to win. I don't think our C team is enough to beat Canada's mostly A, some B team players. So I'm going to say that this ends up as a 2-2 draw. And those are my predictions for this week. I'll be back next week for a full episode. See you then. Jack is a traitor. He said two to two draw between the two really? teams. Yeah. Just going by the fact that I think we just have better players without Alfonso Davies on the Canadian team. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a three, one win for us. I have no real analysis that I haven't really said on the previous couple of episodes other yeah. than, I don't know. I, I just think that this team has what it takes to at least get it out of the group stage. I think we have a good roster to do that. And what yep, happens after that is a toss up, but that's what I'm hoping. Uh, yeah. I, well, those are all of our predictions. Reed, how are you feeling about those? We have a lot of discrepancies, so we, it's, it's uh, either go, go big or go home for you. Huh? Yeah. I mean, these are, 
uh, a lot of these games that you chose for us to predict are real toss-ups. Yeah. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how those play out. But uh, feel all right. Feel pretty right. good. All right. Well, hopefully you can at least do better than Jack. Not that that's too hard seeing our results uh, from this past week. Uh, but Reed, thank you so much for A, covering Jack, and B, as always, it's, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, Got to have you on again. Got to have you in person this fall when we're all on campus. We're yeah. definitely having you guest on another podcast episode. Yeah, thank you so much it. for joining us. Thank you. All right. Thank you again to Reed for coming on the show. We always appreciate our guests taking the time out of their day to come talk about soccer with us for an hour or so. So thank you again to Reed. And thank you again for sticking around with us for the, the past hour and a half talking about Euros and Copa America. If you want to find us and you know listen to us some more, uh, give us a rating, give us a follow on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram at Final Third Show. Those links are going to be down in the show notes below. Uh, and as always, tell your friend about the show. Word of mouth always helps for us. And tell your dad also, because I'm sure he'd love to hear about the Euros and Copa America and whatever. So, yeah, we'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive episode. Jack and I are talking about the Olympic soccer tournament. And we'll see you guys same time, same place for the news and predictions episode. See ya.